to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute from our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Absolutely. If you want to find us on the wider internet family, go to trustthejourney.today. That's our website, our Instagram. Please like, comment, share, subscribe, whatever feels inspired to you. If you would like to join us in the Trust the Journey family, where we expand the conversation and support each other, you are always welcome to do that. You only need to donate on Patreon. We would welcome that donation. So go to the website, trustthejourney.today, scroll down, donate on Patreon in any amount, and we will add you to that private Facebook group. And huge thanks to all of our Trusted Journey family members who do support us through there. It really does help us bring this show to production so that we can continue doing it. So thank you very much. We really do love you and appreciate you. We also like to send some thanks out to our editor, Kimberly Joy Voice. Uh, She's been managing the podcast editing and posting for us. And if you would like any of her services, she's also available at KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com. And she will be glad to help you. Absolutely. So right on team, let's jump into this one. Today we're going to be talking about self-expression and whatever form that might take for each of us. And we are right now first going to dive into talking with Jay about Queen Jasmine. Very interested to learn about her. (laughs) For sure. Me too. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. So can you first tell us, Jay, who is Queen Jasmine? So if people don't know, give us give us some some background as to what we're going to be talking about with her. Sure. Uh, Queen Jasmine is my alter ego. Um, She's a drag queen, DJ, stage performer, all around fun, loving, fashion freak who just loves to have a great time. I love that. And that's sort of how the insight or the, not the insight, but the impetus to talk about this was, I was like, we were texting going, ha ha ha, what should we talk about? I was like, and Jay was sending me these amazing pictures of some of his uh, beautiful outfits. And I was like, let's talk about fashion. Cause I, <laughs> I love fashion. Oh, yeah. I was kind of joking, but the truth is, is it's such an amazing form of self-expression and Queen Jasmine takes it seemingly, at least from my perspective, viewing and and witnessing her, it's a it's a bold expression. And so I'm like curious why that is like what what's that? What's the root of that? Or tell us more about that. Well, I I think you're definitely accurate that her her style is loud and obnoxious and stage worthy. You know, like really, really present and colorful and flamboyant and just, you know, to the point of ridiculous. And I think that's largely a reflection of my own personality having been trapped in the modern male persona of like what men's clothing and men's fashion should look like Mm -hmm. according to kind of the stigma that I was raised in and had felt myself trapped within for so long. Uh, So it really found an opportunity for me to break away from that. You know, I was in a big department store yesterday 
and I was walking through the men's clothing section with just a like sheer disappointment on my face, <laughs> just like so pathetic with the choices that I get based on this social stereotyping of what I'm supposed to wear and knowing that I'm going to walk right past all this stuff and go to the other section where there's colorful, fun, interesting, playful things that I can choose from now that I'm comfortable enough to break out of that, his and hers, and this is what's allowed or not allowed. Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, tell us more about that. This this idea of now that you're comfortable implies a, a discomfort, which completely makes sense when we're talking about societally prescribed roles and just not even societally prescribed, but majority prescribed. You know what I mean? Where we want to fit in or we're afraid of being different or afraid of really acknowledging where or what the expression of us actually is. So I'm curious about that part of your, I don't know what the, I don't even know how to ask the question of like finding her or, or acknowledging her. Like, can you tell us more about that discovery process? Yeah, absolutely. And it goes much further back, you know, like, I guess it continues to go back through every generation within our lineages of our families that however our parents are taught and whatever belief structure they have is the one that's imposed upon us when we're children. So my early experiences were very much based in the uh, Catholic, Protestant Pentecostal Christian upbringing, which very much put clear, definitive boundaries around what is okay and what's not. And it actually demonized and villainized things that are outside of that spectrum. So, you know, the typical North American upbringing of men do this and women do this, you know, women wear makeup when men do not, women cook and clean men go to work the the old stereotype that is just so outdated now it just doesn't apply anymore it was drilled into me at a young age that if i fell outside of these lines specifically regards to sexuality if i were to say that i'm queer or homosexual i'm literally a sinner and i'm going to hell mm-hmm. and so the idea that if i don't fit this box immediately the way that it's described that I'm going to eternal damnation was expressed to me at an impressionable age of say six or seven years old. Yeah. Which is a pretty terrifying concept for me as an adult to try to tell a child that you actually think you have enough knowledge about what happens beyond this world to, you know, express that onto an impressionable enough being just you know to scare scare them into submission for your own set of ideals is it's just ridiculous so that's the root of it right like i was born into this society into this culture that says if you like anything that's outside of these descriptors you're a bad person essentially yeah and so the reason why this has been something that i've kept to myself for so long is because it's taken me a long time to undo that trauma Mm -hmm. that that trauma was burned in really really young at a really early age and it's hard to even if you like logistically come to terms with it and you're like yeah i understand this is just something i learned in church and i'm not part of that church anymore or that cult anymore then Mm -hmm. i don't have to believe those things but they're still burned into my fear and judgment like impressions yeah 
Yeah. That makes complete sense. Gosh, I can't imagine there aren't a lot of people listening that can resonate in some way with that. You know what I mean? Not necessarily maybe in the realm of religion or or whatever, but the impressionable influences that we have at a young age and how that might direct us. It's interesting because even if we take it outside of like a trauma, I was thinking, okay, I actually have spent a lot of my life inside of a mask, more masculine energy, you know, where I'm leading teams, where I'm, you know, doing sports. And that's a gendered thing too, which I think is awesome. That's being sort of undone as well. This whole women in sports and having that not be a gendered thing. But when I was young, it was, you know what I mean? It was like kind of different and more masculine to be an athlete or, whatever. And it took me a while to feel more comfortable with my feminine side because those more masculine things that I did that I participated in, they were a little bit of a rebellion in a way, but that they also limited me in my exposure to being more feminine. And so like, that's partly why I do my big photo shoots with the big wild outfits and stuff like that. I love fashion as an as a vehicle for self-expression and art. And so I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before. So it's not necessarily the same thing, but I feel like I'm sitting here totally resonating even though I'm a woman, you know, a heterosexual woman, and I'm like I still had it a, a heavily masculine experience as a young girl and then had to really open myself up to the more feminine parts of myself and my expression as well. So I love that. Yeah, I, I completely relate. The, the, just the general concept that like boys wear these colors and girls wear these colors. Yeah. Is, it's a ridiculous concept in its core structure, right? Mm-hmm. You know, boys are blue, girls are pink. Mm-hmm. You're like... Well, so that basically what that says is as a boy, I'm not allowed to like pink, you know, or told, if you told, do I'm, something, there's some impact or you know, the, the worst part is if you do, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Oh, and then you God. grow up with this impression that there's something wrong with you because you like a color or a fabric or something sparkles and you like it. Yeah. So this whole concept is really, really messed up. Well, tell, yeah. so tell me more about this part of it, because you were pointing to this earlier about the fear of that, the trauma of, of thinking you can't like something and having to hold back an authentic piece of you, which then yeah. speaks to when you finally do decide and get to the point where I am ready and willing to be brave and express this part of myself, like how did you get through that to the point where you actually brought Queen Jasmine into the world? So I've been um, a queer person my entire life. Mm -hmm. I guess that that's the only word I can find that really like makes any sense. I've been doing the whole pronoun study for a number of years Mm -hmm. now and like trying to learn what these pronouns mean and how they actually work and trying to find one that actually can describe how I view myself Mm -hmm. or how I feel about myself without that being uh, with, with, you know, trying it on. I'm like, am I transgendered or am I, uh, gender fluid or am I mm-hmm. queer or whatever? And I'm like, well, queer is a great word because it's just weird. 
<laughs> just diff- just weird. Just just it's so there's normal and there's queer. Okay, you know? cool. So I'm like, okay, queer is good because it's an unusual. Yeah, you know. Yep. So I'm happy to be the odd apple in the basket mm-hmm. and not have to try to put further definition around that. And what's driven me to that is I've always liked women's clothing. You know, my entire life since I was a boy, pre-puberty. Mm-hmm. You know. Before puberty, I was always like, why are these ones lacy? Why are these ones more delicate? Why are these ones more interesting mm-hmm. when mine are so simple or boring? Or why are the colors more fun? Yeah. And then growing up with a lot of um, time with girls as well, and spend, they're like dollhouses and Barbies and all this stuff. And you're like, why are these toys for them? And why are these toys for me? I get yep. tools. Yeah. And I get bicycles and girls get dolls and cook sets and all this stuff. So I've always thought of myself as a very curious person. You know, I I want to know. Whatever it is, I want to know. I'm not happy if I don't know. I want want to dig into it. And so even at the age of like seven or eight years old, I'm like, I don't understand why these things are separated into different piles. It doesn't make any sense why... The girls have some sets of things and the guys have some sets of things. Why don't we all just have the things and we choose the ones we like? And that foundation was already there for a long time. And I started experimenting as any children do and as any young adults do and trying different things. And I'm like, well, I kind of like this or I don't like that. And I got to a point where that curiosity, that um, true, like, youthful innocent curiosity ran into the judgment of the world Mm -hmm. you know and I got old enough to be able to see my own curiosity in a relationship compared to the way the people around you view the things that you're curious about yeah and that put up a wall immediately and I was like oh this is this is going to get me in trouble this is going to get me judged by the society that I'm currently structured within in a negative way where I'm going to now have to deal with these outcomes of my own curiosity as viewed in a negative way, which is an absolutely horrible construct. We, if curiosity is the absolute foundation to change and growth Ugh. and all the important things, right? Totally. Curiosity is right at the very top next, next to love and gratitude. And you, you point know? to and how, humor. yeah. And you, and you point to how judgment closes off that. So like curiosity Absolutely. by, yeah. by definition is without judgment. And so when you meet it with judgment, it shuts it down. Totally. It's like, Oh Yeah. Yeah. So somewhere in my teens, as you know, before puberty, I had no concept of the judgment, right? Except for the church's yeah. damnation piece of it. Seriously, <laughs> Except for, you know, internal damnation, you know. <laughs> Eternal damnation. Thanks, mom. <laughs> oh, my God. Louis C.K. does this bit about how he tells his daughter that the world is going to explode one day and she like loses her fucking shit. Totally <laughs> terrified. It's like this hilarious bit. But anyway, I love my mom. She was the best mom I could ever hope for. But fucking yeah. hey, man, what the hell were you thinking? You scared the life out of me. You know, like told me I was totally. going to burn in internal damnation. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, totally. That's the what Louis C.K.'s bit is about is the uh, joking about parents being like, oh, fuck, like (laughs) one one would think they. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So 
after I started to get old enough that sexuality started to occur, right? Like there's a difference between curiosity and just being a, an innocent child and then having sexuality appear in our lives when we're what, you know, hit puberty around 11, 12, 13 years old, you know, those things change and all of a sudden there's this other part of us that emerges. And when that happened, I was like, oh, I'm definitely different. There's definitely, I'm not falling straight into one of these categories. And I don't know where that difference lands. There's no like clear category. Yeah. But I knew that didn't fit in society's preconceptions mm -hmm. in a way that I would be able to move through the world that I was in without being judged in a very forceful, aggressive, potentially violent way. And the reason I say violent is because I was beat up. Like wow. as a young boy, older boys who were homophobic mm -hmm. accused me of being gay and beat the shit out of me. Oh my God. You know, multiple times. I can remember these incidences as being like a 10 year old and having a boy that's 16 or 17 punching me in the face, calling me gay until I'm bleeding oh. and, and, you know, traumatized. And so Horrible. the, the root of these fears lies in early traumatic experiences, as well as the relationship to the society that I was born into. And yeah, albeit it was the 70s and 80s. So it was a long time ago relative to now. The world's a very different place, but these judgments are still quite powerful and Absolutely. still very active. And, and depending on what part of the world you're listening from, you know, you're going to have an entirely different perspective as to some places are going to be very liberal and other places are going to be very conservative mm -hmm. towards their, their, you know, the amount of judgment. Mm -hmm. And even when I grew up in Toronto, I would consider to be a very liberal place, mm -hmm. but the subset of culture that I grew up in was not, it was very conservative and the subculture of where I was at in the city, particularly like the area of the city, that was not a, there was no rainbow flags yeah. put that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you could go downtown to the, the gay district and you could find that, but not where I was growing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I can't imagine you don't feel the that. Like don't you like even if you're not consciously aware of it, I can't imagine you're not unconsciously aware of that sort of danger. And I say danger, and that's a very broad sweeping version, but it could be literal physical danger, but it's emotional danger too. this judgment, this being rejected, this being beaten up when yeah. you are inside of a an or where you're in an area or in a collective that clearly is not supportive of what you perceive and feel and know yourself to be. Yeah. So I'll just kind of wrap up that like period to say that somewhere in my teens, I was, I had a number of traumas in my early life. If you've listened to the show at all, you know, I lost both my parents quite young. I had a serious uh, trauma with one of my best friends attempting suicide. And then I had some traumas surrounding having a child and becoming a parent and then not be, becoming not a parent. Uh, at all at a very young age. And so this stacking of like emotional traumas left me very emotionally vulnerable and a very emotionally sensitive where I was terrified 
absolutely terrified of any other anything else happening to me that could scar me in an emotional way totally. and knowing that i was an unusual person a queer person that that was like okay if, if i have to deal with this on top of the other things that i've had to deal with so far i'm probably going to kill myself mm -hmm. like i just won't be able to handle anything else beyond what i'm already dealing with yeah. and so i made a conscious decision in my early 20s to just put that whole part of me into a box like a literal conscious decision to say okay i'm just gonna not i'm choosing to not present this part of myself to the world in any way because i don't have the energy to deal with the judgment i don't have the emotional stability yeah. to to be able to express my point of view or under even to like understand where it comes from just not ready so i literally took any version i have myself that was queer or that liked women's clothes or like to express myself in any way that was feminine whether that's jewelry or fashion or haircut or like whatever it was and i either made it hyper masculine and made it really tough and strong and you know comfortable for the society to accept mm -hmm. or i locked it away in a literal box or closet where you couldn't see it you couldn't share in it and it was just for me mm -hmm. yeah yeah wow that is makes me think of all the stories that you hear from the lgbtq plus community of coming out and how there is there are so many suicides of young people and that how it and I Jay I love that you are sharing this because God I hear this and I go my hope is that any like there's people listening going okay it's I'm not alone it's not just me wow Jay Maletsky someone I really admire and look up to and and love and whatever is sharing so openly cool maybe I can too. And, I, and I'm not suggesting that that's an easy decision to make. I, I, I am no expert in any way on this, in this conversation. It's more like a, as an ally, as someone who has been listening and learning and caring to be of service to equality and, and gender conversations that are opening up this dialogue. I, the things that move me the most are are those stories where young people are like, I didn't kill myself because I f heard someone else's story. It makes a fucking difference. And it's so sad to me that there's anyone in the world that doesn't feel safe to be seen and heard as their true self, even though, of course, that's a very, very widespread problem. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's an everyday occurrence yeah. that you're going to be in the presence of somebody who's being smaller and dulling their light than who they really are because of their societal preconceptions that have been imposed upon them, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Then, it's such a hard thing to heal, you know, because without literally transplanting ourselves to a different part of the world where society's different, it's very difficult to outgrow your surroundings. Yeah, I, there's a quote that, that I love, and I don't know where it's from. I don't know who said it. I think it was like on a Daily Zen email one day 10 years ago, but it was something like, 
you will be like those with whom you surround yourself. Your environment is stronger than you are. Not to be just like dissuading people to away from their power, but more to acknowledge that the people we choose to spend our time with and the environments we choose to live in and amongst has power to influence us. And we need to recognize that. So if we do need, need to make a change or make a choice to leave a place or to spend less time with this person, more time with this person or move or whatever, it's worth considering for these very real reasons. I want to talk about the suicidal um, element for a, a minute because we were there and I don't want to wander too far away from Go. it before taking a second to reflect on at least some of my own personal relative experience with this set of feelings and emotions because I have heard... Um, you know, so there, I've had close people in my lives commit suicide. I've had people attempt suicide and I've never made a, like a, it's hard to say this without, um, it, it, the typical attempted suicide is, you know, uh, overdosing or hanging himself or shooting oneself or like some form of like, okay, this is a clear suicide attempt. Right. And I, I there was a point when I was young, when I did something that was definitely a suicide attempt, mm -hmm. but it was in a different structure. And it just happened that I didn't die. Mm -hmm. it, I just, I was so furious and so angry. And so didn't know how to manage all the emotions I took. I got on a motorcycle and I held the throttle <clears throat> at wide open through 25 city lights. Wow. Red, yellow, green, whatever. Wow. I didn't uh, pay any attention to what was ahead of me. I just rolled the dice at full throttle. And it was completely reckless because I had somebody else on the bike with me. Mm, wow. And I had no regard for the other people's lives that I was potentially affecting yeah. by that action. It was absolutely careless, reckless. Uh, I mean, if that's, that's attempted manslaughter, yeah. you know, it just uh, not can be considered of any regard to anybody. Mm -hmm. And I've never really looked at that in a way where I have at this age, now I can look back at it and be like, Wow, I was just out of control, mm -hmm. completely reckless. And I've never understood or been able to really take and create a relationship between the, you hear these ads for like suicide prevention hotlines and they say, if you're having suicidal thoughts, you can call this hotline. And I'm like, what does that mean? What's a suicidal thought? And then a few years ago, not that many years ago, I was, I heard my own thoughts say, well, if I don't deal with this, I could always kill myself. Wow. And then it was like, after I was kind of reviewing my own thoughts, I was like, well, that was one of the possible items on the list mm -hmm. of like how to manage the challenged situation that I'm in was like one of the listed items in my potential ways of dealing with this was suicide. And then I'm like, whoa. That's suicidal ideation. Yep. That's exactly what they're talking about in those ads or when you hear about suicide prevention is when, when it becomes something that is a potential way of dealing with the challenges, 
now we're considering it as an option. Yeah. And it was amazing how like sneaky it like slid into the list of potential ways of, you know, getting therapy or talking to my family or friends or like, I'm just going to drink myself to death or what? And then, yeah. Wait a second. That's on the list too. That's a form of suicide like to mm-hmm. death, like that concept of in there. Mm-hmm. So this is literally started coming up for me a number of years ago in like the subconscious layers of my mind without being really aware of it. I started right. realizing I, I was drinking myself to oblivion or I was drugging myself so that I wouldn't feel the emotional pain that I was feeling anymore of having taken that part of myself and pushed it into a, a locked box mm-hmm. that I wasn't even allowed to access anymore. Yeah. So this whole, the whole reason like what's brought Queen Jasmine to the stage has been, if I didn't do this, I was going to die Yeah, because I was making actions and having thoughts that were leading to a list of potentials that a variety of them include potential death Mm -hmm. because that part was being so suppressed and so fearfully contained. Yeah. It was just time that had to be, I had to do something about it. Oh, so powerful. Oh, I mean, gosh, whether we're talking about this version of an expression or any version of a pain point, God, thank you so much for sharing that, Jay. It is so, I, oh, so resonant. I can't imagine, again, anybody listening no matter how they identify or what their life experience is, liberal, conservative, queer, straight, whatever the label you might use, I feel like we all have those things that we have so much shame around that we can't, that we can't show it, that we can't look at it. It's too painful. We can't even acknowledge it. It just bury, bury, like keep it buried. So whether that's stuff we're aware of or stuff we're unaware of, you know, because I feel like sometimes it's, it's still in the background of our waking consciousness, those old, old hurts and old, old pains. But anyway, I, I love that you point to that, that the Oh, God. And again, we are not professionals in this realm. So again, please know that none of this is actual advice, but it's more I I love that we're talking about this because I talk a lot about the, the need to grow and heal. And so like, well, why? You know, and I feel like what you just shared is a great example of if we let something metastasize or grow or poison us to the level that you're talking about, there are dire, truly dire consequences. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the, the subconscious knows what's up, right? Like yeah. we, our conscious mind doesn't always have the ability to register and understand exactly what's the causation of our feelings are. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you said you were touching on the idea that some things are so sensitive that we can't even talk about it. Like there's not mm-hmm. a, and I can remember a number of years ago when I was so torn up about like, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't get a word out 
at all mm -hmm. about it, you know, and there was just no way that I was going to have a conversation or with my most trusted and loved person. I could, it was like, it's just not possible. Yeah. And it's been getting to the edge of myself and seeing like how scared I was of, of, of an outcome uh, you know, of, of the finality, a fatal outcome. I'm like, well, this could potentially lead to killing me, you know, yeah. uh, because I'm so crushing it down so hard that I, ha I have to deal with it. And I'm, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever had to do is yeah. like, okay, now I'm going to have to deal with the thing that scares me the most, you know, and all the fear that I've built up around it is inside of my own head, mm -hmm. right? Like that fear isn't something I can pick up off the table. It's not sitting here <laughs> next to me, you know? Yeah. It's a concept that I've created and I've built it all up around myself inside of my own mind. And all the guilt, all the shame, all the fear, all those things are constructs. And it's been a matter of one by one pulling the bricks out of those walls that I've put up that I'm living within within myself. And I have to reflect back to um pink floyd um you know anybody from our generation knows pink floyd and the wall and that, that incredible uh audio visual story that was told by roger waters and how that's been a hugely impactful piece in millions of people's lives of how the beautiful that story is and how artfully it's been told and we can all relate to it in some way, you know, because it's so simple in its concept of like, oh, we've been hurt and we don't want to get hurt again. And so we put up barriers around ourselves to protect that part of ourselves. And in that, we shrivel and die because we're locked away, away from everything that we care about. And we have to somehow take it apart again and find our way outside of that cage that we've built for ourselves. And uh, yeah, I really relate to that one by one like poking a brick out of the wall you know and then taking a few out but it's can't you, you can't knock the whole thing down at once you know like it just doesn't work it's like a long slow process so it's been a number of years that i've been undoing this whole um emotional barrier between myself and myself yeah well right? and and again, I think you point to something also really resonant for most people, I would guess, is this idea of I recognize in my consciousness now that this thing that I am avoiding, that I cannot talk about, that I am terrified of, is my lane to healing, freedom, love, acceptance, all of the things that we actually seek and and crave in our in our human experience. And so I'm very curious how you got to and what that first conversation was like. What how did you actually get to the point where you spoke? Uh well, it's definitely a, a combination of therapies mm -hmm. uh, of of utilize, um, finding safe spaces, uh, trusted people that are there to hold space for those um, growth experiences to occur. Yeah. And I can say that there's definitely been a number of those that have been 
based in traditional therapy of having worked with, I'd probably, I think I've worked with like five different therapists mm-hmm. now to find one who I resonate with Amazing. That, I, that I really have a great rapport with and really will continue to work with because it seems like the, we, we have a match, an energetic match that works. And, and that it. took a number of years to get to that point. And the other one, what, and that went from like, um, it started off with addiction counseling and it moved into the like LBGTQ plus queer mm-hmm. um, personal therapy and cognitive behavior therapy and moving through these different modalities. And then the other side of it is, of course, we're huge advocates. It's the plant medicines have been a massive, massively powerful tool within my own journey mm-hmm. to create a space where I felt held mm-hmm. by the universe. I felt held by my experience called life in that I could look at who I am as a whole spiritual being and not judge myself, but actually love myself and then bring that practice from the psychedelic space into my everyday life as in practice of integration. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Emotional safety absolutely emotional safety i want to just scream it from the rooftops i want it to be something that people get into their everyday consciousness that they are caring about it as a pillar foundational key to their relationships to their lives to everything like what needs to happen who is like where is emotional safety in my life where does it exist currently where could I go and say out loud the things I'm scared to say who are those people and they and maybe you have people in your life that are like that maybe you don't if you don't a, a therapist is a great place to start to try and find that and I love that you pointed to how uh, much of a process it can be to find the right fit for a therapist that, you yeah. know, it, I've heard so many times from friends and clients and stuff that they'll, they try to therapist, but uh, I don't know, it didn't work. And then they'd give up after maybe just trying one person and it yeah. can take time. And I, I, I want to highlight this because if that is where you will find emotional safety such that you can explore at these very terrifying depths of yourself and your expression. It's worth, it's worth that effort. And sometimes anyway, it's friends and it really depends, but yeah. So I'll touch on the friends part too, because I would love to give you some gratitude and some love for being part of the circle of friends that I selected a number of years back to confide in, in a form of trust. So that emotional safety, I picked four or five people who are really close to me that I would, I know that they're people that I'm hundred percent safe with that. They're the people that I could, no matter what I have to say, they're just going to be there and be a good listener and allow me the space to go through my own journey without imposing their own opinion or judgment on that. And they're just going to hold space for me in a loving way. Mm-hmm. And so massive thanks for Melanie, because she is one of those people in my group. I love uh, you. Julie, mm-hmm. Tucci, Brett, 
Brad, Jamie. Mm -hmm. That was my core group. Those were the people that were like, no matter how scared I am of what I'm going through, I could pick up the phone and say, kind of freaking out right now, or I'm doing great right now, or this is really hard right now, or I don't know what to say. Maybe you'll just talk to me for a while. Like having like setting up a core group of people and maybe it's just one person, mm -hmm. but finding that emotional safety through a, a friends group is, was a massive part of that kind of trifecta of like having a trained professional, having a trained professional through medicine mm -hmm. and then having a, a core group of friends that I could lean on no matter what. Yeah. Oh, thank you for trusting me. I yeah. love you. I am wildly honored to be in that circle and always am. Yes, I'm here. I love it. I fucking am into it. <laughs> I'm into it because, man. Making it, making it weird. Making, making it, so it weird. weird, man. Making yeah. it weird because, man, I mean, think about that. That's like such a freaking gift to be able to hold space in a, and this is partly why like the life coaching thing in my life is so, so wildly inspiring to me still is it's a, it's a version of that where you are holding this, this wildly loving, non-judgmental space for people to be seen and heard and, and loved. And that's it. And what comes of that? What goals we set? What accountability comes from it? Like, you know, cause I, I mean, not to take something super deep and, and really meaningful for you and take it to a level of accountability. But at some point you, you, there were actions that built on that. So that first action of I'm going to speak to these trusted people, I'm going to pick up the phone and dial it. And then there's like, okay, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to start expressing this in new ways. I mean, can you tell us how it evolved from there? So you have these experiences with your trusted people, with your trusted professionals of being safely held and seen and heard. What then came of it? Like, because it's not that Queen Jasmine needed to necessarily be in the world, but that's what happened. That's what the honest expression was, correct? As opposed yeah. to like, because if, if it was more like, oh, I just need to be allowed to have these thoughts, maybe that's what the outcome would be. So we don't even know when we share, when we start to open the box that's in the metaphorical closet. I'm just sort of spitballing here. I'm I'm guessing that we don't even really know where it's going to end up. You, we might have these ideas of, oh, my God, I'm going to have to be this wild drag queen that goes and does shows. And who knows? You didn't know. You, yeah. That's really we don't know that necessarily unless you did. So I, anyway, I'm rambling. But you know what I'm, where I'm going with this. I love you. Mel. <laughs> <laughs> so. um I've known for a long time that Halloween is, and this is a very typical kind of coming out space yeah. where Halloween is the one night of the year where you can put on anything yeah. and it's very normal for anybody to wear anything. And it's the one, if you're going to look at your general population of straight guys, it'd be the most likely time that you're going to see a straight guy in a dress, <laughs> right? It's going to be on <laughs> so Halloween true. night. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I've known that for my whole life and, you know, for 20 years, I've been considering when I'm going to do a, you know, a, a, a cross-dressing or drag out performance of some kind, like, you know, go out in public in 
uh, cross-dress. And I'd considered it lots of time and I've always had admiration for people who did, but I just never had the guts. I never felt comfortable because there was such an underlying emotional attachment because it wasn't just throwing on a costume and going out for the night because it was like, no, there's a big part of myself that's actually being represented here. And so if I'm going to do this, it has to have some level of authenticity to it that actually feels like an accurate representation. And I've I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. I'm. I need to be able to express myself in an artful way. And I had an opportunity. Um, I was invited to come perform as a DJ on Halloween night at a party out here in the desert. And I know this space to be emotionally safe. Mm-hmm. I know that those venues that we create, those experiences, have a very thoughtfully and very purposefully and created safeness to them Mm -hmm. that when we put those events together we consider all participants and that that's part of what we're doing is creating a container for self-expression for freedom for people to be themselves to express themselves in any way they want be any version of yourself you want to be as long as it's not um causing anybody else any emotional harm or physical harm then you're welcomed in this space and so I knew I could go into that space with any form of myself I wanted. And I'd been collecting some parts and pieces and outfit stuff for some time. And I had an idea for this rainbow bright type character with this big rainbow wig and rainbow tutus and corset and rainbow striped <laughs> everything. And I'm like, I'm going to take this, you know, full on rainbow drag queen out for Halloween and put her on stage because... The stage is also a very safe place in and not in its entirety, but if you go through all of history and you say, well, where are men welcomed in a in a dress? Yeah, it's on, on the stage. Yeah, the, on, yeah. The, on the stage, it's way more normal. Put some air quotes yeah, around that. Right. It's way more normal for a guy to have on a wig and a dress on stage than it is, say, at a restaurant. Yeah, at a CVS you know? picking yeah, up, you know gum or something yeah yeah it's way like if you just yeah it's odd like we view it as odd Mm -hmm. if some if a guy is wearing women's clothing but we don't view it as odd if a woman's wearing guys clothing huh anyway god back to the point yeah i thought halloween was a great place to be able to express this i knew i had a safe container i knew i would be supported there And what happened was when I did get on stage for this performance, I wasn't really um, thinking about that being a recurring venue for expression. But what I found was that she was quite at home there. Cool. That that was a space where she could be herself, be loud, Mm -hmm. gorgeous, flamboyant. And expressive and all these things that are applauded and warmly welcomed by an audience. And I realized I'm like, oh, there's always been a safe place for this expression. And that is up here where it's loud and proud and beautiful. Yeah. And I have coming out the other side of the experience, I felt like, wow, that felt great. That was absolutely over the moon from what I expected to be, which was I was... I mean, I was t- I was toughing up. I was like, okay, got my boots on, 
got my makeup did, you mm-hmm. know, I've got my nails done. I'm ready to go and like strut up on stage. But I was terrified. Yeah. You know, like at the same time. Of course. Was, um, but the, the reception was so positive and so appreciative and so enthusiastic that I immediately knew I'm like, oh, this is, this is home for this type of expression. And I mean, if I look at my own upbringing and I say, who are the influential women in like in the theatrical world? I'm thinking Madonna, Mm -hmm. uh, Cyndi Lauper, um, Lady Gaga, like the the fashion performer stage presence, this whole thing of like incredible, authentic, loud, colorful, statement driven women, and I'm like, that's beautiful, that's amazing, that's an expression that I completely appreciate, and I get to go and embody my own version of that, and it's a for me, it's been a beautiful balance because. I've had 15 or 20 years of doing the hyper-masculine and being a alpha male top competitor, you know, yep. really putting on the whole, the, the other side of that coin where I'm a top performer in this like really powerful masculine persona and being, and that had a lot of fashion to it too. Let's yeah, not yeah. Pretend that it didn't. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean that going back to the expression, but not to to round out or to speak to what you just shared. Obviously, the emotional safety, another key component to it yeah. being a positive, not re-traumatizing experience, right? Yeah. So, because like it could have been a re-traumatizing experience, and so I don't want to just be like, oh the world's so wonderful and it's so easy to do this. Just do what Jay did. The emotional safety component was very important in that story that you're like, this is, even though you still were terrified, understandably, this being sort of your first, you know, public expression of this, this part of you. What I love also about Queen Jasmine is she is a rebellion to these boxes and for me, like a, I, I see it and I go, oh, that's a version of freedom. Fuck it. Who the Absolutely. fuck cares if yep. if Jay wants to express and play with color and fashion and expression? Who who cares genuinely in the, in the best possible, free, loving, supportive, accepting way? And I just want to say something that is re- like resonance resonates with me personally is like mine. Mine is like slightly different, but I, I go back to these sort of art projects that I've been doing. The artist in me is this like, what am I wearing and where am I wearing it? How are these ideas coming together that are atypically or not supposed to be together? Or where am I ex- exploring again this part of me that I haven't explored and how can I do it in a big way? So I'm having an, a, an a, like edge, like an, an experience at my edge. So that's why when I think about, oh, I'm going to have this big fashion shoot in New York, I'm going to make my own skirt. I'm going to build this artistic thing that I then wear. You know what I mean? That I really resonate with that just myself. And 
the last thing I want to say, and thank you for listening, is when you mentioned Lady Gaga and Madonna and people who use their fashion expression as art, that's basically, I've been thinking, that's literally on my like to-do list where I like am thinking creatively about what is my next sort of art photo shoot going to be and how am I going to elevate what I connect its its mission and message around so I don't have clarity around that yet but it's something I'm working on and it's something that enlivens me and excites me to be creative and free in that way absolutely yeah, I, same for me. The you know the whole idea of like diving into a um any one of these creative expressions of like what's the outfit going to be, what's the look, and what's the whole my for me it's a musical expression. Like what's the whole experience going to be like, and what's the how's the audience going to perceive it all, and what's the the viewer's perception going to be? That whole thing is just so much fun to to explore. Really, as yeah. as an artist, that's that's the whole point of it. Um, it's such a contribution too, you know, going yeah. back to obviously you sharing this incredible story of your own healing, of your own awakening, of your own bravery, of your own, you know, God, just beautiful freedom. And I just, I love that Jay as a contribution to other people who might be sitting in their chair, in their car, walk, taking a walk, listening to this going, I have those same thoughts or I have those same fears. And maybe there's a door open for possibility for them. Like that's another reason why I care to, why would I care? It's not just because I'm enlivened at being on the edge. It's that I personally believe if we're thinking something, if we're feeling something, there's a guarantee that there are other people in the world thinking and feeling it too. And so being brave enough to express ourselves in those ways is a is a contribution to those people that are also held back. I, I can tell you from my own experience is this this has been just over a year now that I've been um, you know publicly sharing this part of myself, and in that time I've had a dozen guys come to me, amazing, be like I want to do that, I want to do drag, oh. like I want to. Can you help me with makeup? You know, and oh. like just and the people that have come to me, I would some of them I would never ever put a finger on to say yeah that'd be somebody who would ask me this question yeah you know and it completely that vulnerability of uh, that you know i'm creating a space by sharing that part of myself is received in an open way and that creates a space for vulnerability and then that takes down all the barriers and so here's one of the things that i think has really been the one of the most positive um reinforcements to this whole journey is that every time I put on this other persona, this alter ego of Queen Jasmine, and I and I'll I'll deviate from that for a second and I'll give some root to the whole concept of an alter ego. Mm-hmm. In that my therapist asked me at one point, like, oh, does this other part of yourself have a name? And the answer at that time was no. Yeah. There is no there is no other name for this is just me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I didn't have another name or another persona or some other thing. And I thought that was weird. Mm. You know, I thought that whole idea of like somebody who has two different names or two different, you know, genders or two different versions of themselves was like a personality disorder or 
they're bipolar or yep. they're multiple personality or they're or they're just weird, you know. <laughs> but not they in, have not in an acceptable way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I I judged that concept a lot, and then I went for a psilocybin ceremony, and right at the end of the ceremony, like right when things were kind of coming back to baseline, and I was just reabsorbing the whole experience a name appeared in my head mm. just boom feels like it kind of came towards me visually like this name and it was just there poof jasmine and appeared i was like well that just got presented to me it's like it just appeared as a as something like another car coming down the road appears on the horizon you know here it comes kind of thing and so once it arrived i was like oh, I didn't even pick this. <laughs> right. It was just presented to me. Like, you don't pick what kind of car comes down the road in the other right. direction towards you. It just comes to you. So there's that aspect of it that I wanted to share on. And then this whole th concept of having an alter ego, a whole other part of another personality, another gender, that's taken some time to get used to, but it sure is fun. Oh, you know, it's, it's It's really fun. And it authorizes my life experience to now have this complete other outlet and form of self this other personality and i've seen this lots of times musicians do this you or writers do this you write or you perform under another name yeah and that authorizes you a completely different set of personality with which to perform in and that allows us to be lots of different versions of ourselves without having to let go of the part of ourself that we are or that, that we love. Like I love Jay. Jay's a beautiful guy yeah. and works really hard to be a great person. And all this part of myself is something I'm really proud of and I want to hold on to and I love. I'm not going to just suddenly become something else and throw this part away. Yeah. I'm going to branch off a new part and be another part of myself. And to back to where I started this, what happens when I put on this outfit, when I put on this character, or when I let Jasmine out? Everybody smiles. <laughs> this, is the, this is the experience that I have, okay? I put on this outfit, I step out into the world, and everybody is disarmed of their judgment. <laughs> yes, yes. It peels back. The, suddenly, there's this, like, smiles and enthusiasm and laughter and silliness <laughs> and outrageousness becomes this like energetic field mm -hmm. and whether it's little kids or old folks men or women all different versions in between most people just suddenly are having a good time and there's this giant neon sign over my head that everybody like puts energy into which says fun mm. and that is it's blazingly obvious like i have done this performances a number of times now and I like walking down the street and there's just this bubble of fun radiating everywhere yeah. and everybody wants to be part of it and mm -hmm. it's it's hilarious like I can't I can't overlook it because the space that's created the way that I the way that people interact with Jasmine is she creates this bubble of just fantastic energy that everybody wants to be part of. Yeah. And it's amazing. I'm so over the moon about how fun yeah. that whole experience is. Oh, I feel like so much fun is found when we let go 
of what we're holding on to so tightly in the in the realm of of how jasmine shows up in the world it's a version of you of an exp- it's an expression that is so is atypical so it's outside of but it's also non-threatening you know what i mean so it's like this this like oh my god this stuff can happen outside of what i think should be happening around me in my my cultural precondition you know what i mean i love that just from the i mean gosh think about this it's i've talked about this about when this is not the same thing at all but it's I imagine there's part of this is happening when Jasmine walks down the street and and shocks people into this delight of of, oh, my God, the world isn't exactly what I thought it was. It's not as boring and I don't know everything and I can still be surprised is and I've I've talked about this in my comedy, like comedy classes, like a key skill of toward growth is it's like a pie in the face. Why is a pie in the face fucking funny? It's like classic. It's old. Why is it funny? It's not that funny, but it's shocking. It's unexpected. It's not supposed to be happening. And it's and yet here it is. It's happening. Here you are walking down the sidewalk. Wow. You know, it's there's so much power in that type of willingness to to live and and express in the parts that people do not typically express in. So I give you I am just I'm overjoyed. I love everything that we talked about. I want to just keep talking. So anyway, say more. (laughs) (laughs) Round us out, my friend. (laughs) I I, want to say thank you first for because this to our audience is a emotionally safe space. Yeah. You know, our audience may fire back some um, any kind of response. There might be some overwhelming, enthusiastic comments and there might be some hate mail. There probably will be both, right? And because th- this space with Melanie and I, it's just Mel and I yeah. here, right? And you, you, our audience, you guys are listening. You're getting like a, a secondhand version because they're not part of the conversation while it's occurring. So I don't, I'm not dealing with somebody else's emotional interjection into this space. I know that Melanie's going to receive me in a positive, enthusiastic way, non-judgmental, mm-hmm. objective position. So I want to make sure that that continues to be um, reinforced to share, you know, because I do feel like the the time and the place and how, you know, I've been very, I almost want to say systematic but very thoughtful and very considerate about how I choose to put Jasmine into the world. And Mm -hmm. that's been one of the big barriers for me has been like trying to figure out how to let her out of the box into the space called the world in a way where that's going to be approved of, appreciated, accepted, loved, you know, enthusiastic support. And so I want to send some gratitude out to all my friends who have been with me on the journey because everybody who came up to me from the very first moment of, you know, strutting down the street and being like, God damn, you look amazing. You know, (laughs) like every single one of those comments is supportive and they're new bricks in the new foundation and the structure that is myself not the wall that's around myself so 
if you are in the world and you encounter others who are being authentic versions of themselves, support them. Yeah. Approve of their authenticity. (sighs) You know, every little comment you make to support in anybody's smallest little version of attempting to show their authentic self and you help them along that journey by giving them a true, authentic, supportive hell yeah, mm-hmm. you know, is going to help us to build those versions of ourselves that are the true us. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. Do you have anything else you'd like to share that I didn't ask about that you want to make sure you share in this in this conversation? You know, it's, it's such a huge um, part of my own life journey. And I'm sure that we'll spend more time talking about this in the future. I don't know that we need to try to cover all the bases in the first go. Cool. I think we did a pretty good job of tapping into kind of where this comes from and how we've gotten here. There's been a, there's a lot more and there's plenty more to come. Yeah. Jasmine is just getting started with stage presence and <laughs> musical creativity and all the pieces that come along with it so i love it great well is there any place where people can find and follow her yeah actually two things i definitely want to say thank you to my closest people uh once again to julie to tucci to jamie brett brad all been such huge huge parts and to dr stark thank you so much she's been so important she's fantastic and yes, you can follow Queen Jasmine on Instagram, Queen Jasmine Official with underscores. And you can follow on SoundCloud, same title, Queen Jasmine Official. And I am, she is performing regularly uh, these days out here in the Moab, Utah area. So if you follow on my Instagram, uh, you can keep track of what's going on there. You can also follow Desert Soul Collective where she's performing a lot. And um, I'm super excited about upcoming performances. There's one next week that's going to be off the hook. (laughs) I love it. I love you. God damn. Amazing. And I love you so much. And I'm so into this. I'm so proud of you for sharing and so grateful for you sharing. And everybody listening... Thank you, as always, for being here, for real. We really, really appreciate your support. Jay mentioned it earlier. If you are inspired to donate on Patreon, those donations really help us keep the show going. We really make make nothing doing this. (laughs) So uh, it's really, really helpful, and we're so grateful for those of you that do support us in that way. Uh, To follow us, trustthejourney.today. And anything else, Jay? Yeah, I mean, please comment on Instagram, on Facebook, reach out and make touch with us on YouTube, anywhere that you feel so inspired to make contact. It it really is much appreciated and we loved hearing from you. It really does. Every single message gets read and every message gets shared between us and um, we we love it so much. Um, Thanks, Kim. We really appreciate you. You do a great job. Yeah. We couldn't be doing this without you. So thanks, Kimberly Joy Voice. If you need podcast editing services, it's KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com. And we love you all so much. On that note, peace out. <laughs> love you.